puts it up. It's good. Kyrie Irving from downtown. And the Cavaliers by three. Final seconds. It's over. It's over. Cleveland is a city of champions once again. The Cavaliers are NBA champions. The nail in the coffin. The Nail in the Coffin, episode 35. I'm Tom Valentino. I'm joined by Travis Uli. We are recording on Thursday night, and that was Mike Breen of ESPN delivering the words that, even four days later, still seem surreal. Cleveland is the city of champions once again. Trev, that's got a pretty nice ring to it, huh? It absolutely does, and I can't help but think uh, this time last year, there was no nail in the coffin podcast. I don't think it's just a coincidence. The, You're welcome. You're welcome, Dan. You can send the check to us. Let the record show that uh, Cleveland sports teams whose seasons started after we launched this podcast in mid-October of last year um, have won the title every single time um, they've begun a season. So it's on you Indians to, uh, keep, to keep the streak up. alive. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we're uh, we're one for one, and uh, in the most dramatic of fashion, um, just an unbelievable, uh, emotional, uh, draining, uh, exciting week. I mean, I'm just out of adjectives, but where do you even begin with that? I, I guess let's talk about the game on Sunday night. Um, you, uh, you were watching it at home, correct? I watched it in the same chair that I watched games three, five, and six in. Um, I... Uh, those who know me know I, I probably stick to superstition a little more than 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 the average person, um, and this was going to be no different. So I actually uh, I watched games one and two that they lost at bars. I watched game four at uh, your sister's wedding in a uh, linen closet on a 30, 13 inch tube TV, and uh, after game five and six were successful, I wasn't going to mess with that for game seven. Um, yeah, I watched sitting in my chair in my living room with my, uh, fiance and dog sitting on the couch next to me. We, uh, we had a nice little crowd over here. I had, uh, put out an open invite, um, to, uh, uh, quite a few people. And I had prefaced it by saying, if, uh, if you have a lucky spot that you feel like you need to be in, um, I respect it, but, uh, I was excited to have, uh, the family over and, and a few friends and, it was uh, quite a uh, an exciting atmosphere at uh, at our house. Um, you know, I, this game and, and this championship, it's about so much more than just numbers and X's and O's and, and really even just basketball. But I, just for the, sec, the sake of posterity and, and for the record, I compiled a list of numbers here that I want to throw out uh, just to get them all in one place at one time, um, just because it really hammers home just how incredible and unlikely what the Cavs were able to accomplish really was. So as we all know, first off, uh, 52 years since Cleveland had gotten a major sports championship. It was the Browns in 1964. The Warriors, 73-9 and nine during the regular season. Uh, going into game five of the finals, they were 50-3 and three at home. 
Uh, the Warriors had not lost three games in a row since November of 2013. No team had ever come back from a 3-1 deficit in the finals. Only three teams in that situation had even forced a Game 7. The last team to win a Game 7 on the road in the finals was in 1978. And going into Sunday night, teams on the road in the finals were 3-15. and uh, The Cavs, th- this is one that I don't think I'd heard mentioned anywhere. The Cavs had never won a Game 7 on the road in franchise history in any round of the playoffs. And for that matter, back when the uh, first round was five games, they had never won uh, a deciding fifth game on the road either. So a winner-take-all game, they'd never won on the road in uh, their 46 years in franchise history. Again, the Cavs, uh, this was year 46. They had not uh, won any titles in their franchise history, obviously, in the first 45 years. Only the Phoenix Suns had gone longer uh, at 48 years now um, without a title. And uh, the other one, um, let's not forget, the Cavs uh, had lost to the Warriors after Game 2. They had lost to the Warriors seven straight times. No team had ever done that to LeBron in his entire career. And the Cavs came back and uh, won four out of the last five to uh, claim their their first championship. Um, Holy shit. I mean, it's just four days later, I'm still trying to process it. Yeah, and if you, I mean, when we went into, and I said this at the beginning of the series, um, to you, I said, hey, if if we can get it to Game Seven, and I got LeBron on my side, I'll take my chances there. Um, but statistically, n- they shouldn't have won the game. They shouldn't have won the series for sure, and they probably shouldn't have won Game Seven either. Every every trend and every percentage and stat that you could look at. Um, both historically and just this year with the two teams, says the Cavs are supposed to lose that game. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, it, it went their way on Sunday, and LeBron stepped up huge. Um, obviously, Kyrie hit that huge three that will uh, – I'll be – I said this to one of my buddies the other day. I said I, f- I can finally have um, a highlight to watch on YouTube that isn't Ohio State football. Because um, I, I go back and I watch those old Ohio State uh, reruns from a couple of years ago um, on YouTube all the time. And being able to watch something else finally is kind of refreshing as well. But yeah, everything said that they shouldn't have won, but um, they didn't give a shit. So why did we? <laughs> just I, I'm, I'm just floored. I, I'm just so absolutely floored by all of it. And um you know, we uh, when the uh, the game was over on uh, Sunday night, we uh, we had a bottle of champagne in the fridge here, and and that was dusted in short order uh, at the party. And I had to put it on my nightstand before I went to bed, just so that when I woke up on Monday morning, I would still uh, I, I would know that it wasn't a dream on Sunday night because I just I I can't believe it. Um, and, and I think the thing that was just so satisfying about it among other things was the fact that that crunch time those final two minutes i've gotten committed to memory now and i'll still watch it um until my dvr breaks or something but every one of the Cavs' big three came up with a huge play and in lebron's case two big plays that ended up leading um to the victory i mean you go into the final two minutes of that game seven and the game was tied. And as you know, you heard in the intro that we played here on this podcast episode, LeBron came flying in out of nowhere 
with that block on Iguodala's shot when it looked like Iguodala had an uncontested layup going on the breakaway. And then Kyrie with the shot of a lifetime <laughs> shaking Steph Curry, the, the two-time MVP. And then, you know, the one play we didn't mention in uh, in the intro here, but um, every bit is critical, and I hope he gets credit for it um, years down the line. Kevin Love playing out-of-his-mind defense on an island against Steph Curry. You know, we, we give him such a hard time, and, and he's taken so much crap over the last couple of years about how he's slow, and he's a defensive liability, and and the Warriors are going to go after him at every turn. He got switched on to Curry in that possession, and Curry tried about three or four moves, and Love was with him in every single step of the way. And yep, and he had to take he had to take a, a bad contested three, and it it missed. It wasn't even particularly close, and it was something we hadn't seen Love do. Um, but yeah, absolutely, you're 100 percent right. He better get probably more credit than anyone's going to give him for it because that was a huge play. If you said, Hey, um, your, you know, your, your season or the series could potentially rest on uh, Kevin Love getting one stop on Steph Curry. You're probably, you know, rolling your eyes and saying, well, shit, I don't know if I like that, <laughs> but he absolutely every step, every, every move that uh, Curry tried to put on him, Love countered it perfectly and played as good a defense as, as you possibly could expect in that situation. So yeah, you're right on. He uh he he finally did something that he's been hearing from everyone else say that he can't do. So big play out of him. Um, and it's weird. I went back and I watched the fourth quarter again. Um, the the next day on Monday when I got home because like you, I still wasn't exactly sure how to wrap my head around what had happened. Um, and I saw it was on TV, so I'm like, all right, I'll watch it again. Um, there, there was probably three or four times watching it again, even knowing what happened, there was probably three or four times during that fourth quarter where, um, Golden State would get up by like four or four or five points. It seemed like, and we'd come down and miss a shot. And I'm like, damn it. They're going to get another bucket. And we're never going to be able to catch up to them. Um, and I'm still not exactly sure how we did, <laughs> but, uh, most teams and even the Cavs at, at several other points this season, um, if put in those situations, would have probably folded, you know, probably let let the lead stretch out a little bit more and not been able to make it up. But this team showed uh, showed a ton of heart, especially, I mean, Kevin Love, he didn't have a great shooting game, but he was out there playing his ass off. And when it came, I mean, when it came down to crunch time, he didn't shy away from, from that challenge at Garden Curry. He, he, he took it on and, played probably the best six or seven seconds of defense that he ever has in his life, and he gets a ring for it. No question. And, you know, you were mentioning all those times and down the stretch where it seemed like the game might teeter on the brink of getting away from the Cavs. There was one of them. I think there was about six minutes to go where the Cavs were down four and LeBron got fouled shooting a three-pointer, and he stepped up to the line and made all three of his free throws, which – um you know, he, he's missed some free throws throughout the year. And if there's one, uh, anything that comes close to being a weakness in his game, he's been known to miss a, a few free throws here and there. And um, stepping up to the line and, and knocking down all three of those there was huge. And really, he came back with the, the last play in that closing sequence to, to finish the game with, uh, you know, he went driving down the lane 
looking like he was trying to slam 52 years of misery uh, down all at once with uh, unleashing hell with that dunk attempt. And he got fouled by, uh, I think it was Draymond at the rim. Yeah, it was Draymond. Yeah. And, and, you know, LeBron came crashing down and I think he got, uh, my guess is like a stinger or something. Cause uh, it looked like at first he took a real nasty spill and was really clutching his wrist and forced the Cavs into a timeout. But um, I'm not totally sure that he didn't just, uh, you know, do it to get a little bit of a breather um, and get himself together. Cause it, it looked up and he like stretched his, like he's flexing his wrist a little bit, but he, I'm not sure he was as hurt as he made it out to be. Um, but I'll say this when Kyrie hit the three, I went, you know, I jumped out of my seat, screamed about as loud as I have in my life. And if LeBron had finished that dunk, I probably would have ended up in the attic that the way that he was going towards it and Kyrie hit him right on the numbers and, and Draymond for, I mean, give him, I guess, give him some credit. He he was able to make a play on it and break it up a little bit, but LeBron was incredibly close to just ripping the basket down. Like you haven't seen him really go to the basket that aggressively. Um, and just the way that he's, I don't even really know how to describe it. It was, it was just one of those moments where you're like, well, shit. If it, and at the point you're like, he's just got to knock one of these down. He got fouled. But if he was able to finish that dunk, that would have been in hindsight, it didn't really make a huge difference because it would have been just one more point. But um, for, uh, I guess for posterity's sake, it would have been one of those plays that probably is right up there with the, uh, with the shot that, Kyrie made it and with the block that uh, LeBron had on Iguodala. I'm going to tell you something. You say had that dunk gone down, you would have ended up in your attic. I think all of Cleveland would have uh, ended up at Lake Erie uh, jumping out of their seats, their couches and, and everything else and, and, and flying a hundred feet into the air. Cause that, that was the most ferocious uh, drive to the rim uh, given the circumstances I can ever remember watching in 25 plus years of basketball and, just unbelievable but uh you know the, the reason i i thought that it was a stinger was because it was like you said he was really really laboring and then he was shaking it out a little bit and then uh uh once he actually got up to the line he seemed fine and i just i don't th- i don't think he was necessarily milking it just because it forced the Cavs to call their last time out which i don't think they would want to do unless they absolutely have to and he generally does not embellish um uh, hits like that unless he's trying to get a call. And at that point, the foul had already been called. So there was really nothing to gain by doing that. So I, regardless, he, he got the uh, the second free throw, which, you know, ended up giving them the two possession lead, which was so huge. And, you know, when I, I was, I just remember like when he went down and you see him rolling around on the ground like that, I mean, at least a little part of me, I don't know about you. I'm thinking like, oh my God, here we go. This is how this one's going to get away from us. You know, every time it, it feels like you know being Cleveland. It, or maybe now I can say these things in in past tense terms because it, uh, it it didn't happen. And, and apparently the new normal for us is these things don't happen. But um, I, I just I really was you know terrified. Oh my God, he broke his wrist. He's going to have to come out, and this thing's going to somehow get to overtime, and the Cavs are going to be dead in the water. And when he went to the line, and the first shot, it was long, but you could tell, like, okay, his wrist is fine. Yeah, he looked fine. And then when he, you could go back and look at the clip, that he kind of has the, he's fiddling with his wristband a little bit and his sleeve, and then he kind of looks over and he gives somebody a nod, and you just saw this look in his eye, and I won't forget it because it was like, 
he realized right then and there, it, it just felt like that, like this thing is within reach. Just make this damn free throw and, and we're in business. And, you know, he rattled it down and, and for all intents and purposes, that was it. Um, that was the, uh, that was the nail in the proverbial coffin of the, uh, the greatest team that we've ever seen, I guess, uh, or so, or so people were making out to be after game four. Um, yeah, he stepped up and he, he hit the second one. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't super clean, but it was, it was right where it needed to be. I mean, he put it in there and he looked confident when he got up for the second one. He didn't look like he was still, um, uncomfortable or feeling anything else from that hit after that. So for all intents and purposes, that was it. I think there was probably what, 10 seconds left or so. Um, yeah, the Cavs did a tremendous job of defending that last sequence because they had a foul to give and they forced, uh, I think it was uh, Clay Thompson, who was like their second option on that play. Uh, well, first off, they, they burned four seconds of that and then committed the foul. And, and then, then fouled, yep. And uh, then I think it was Curry who had the, the last three-point attempt there. Yeah. And, uh, I just um, Well, technically, no. Um well, Spates. Most Spates technically had the last attempt. Yeah. Uh, uh, that'll be the last one that I, I just, I'll never forget as long as I live was when that shot from Curry went skittering away down into the lower right corner of the screen with about two seconds left. And just that realization that hit me like, oh my God, we're going to win this thing. Yep. I took off, ran around my dining room. Uh, I knocked my, my dog came charging after me cause he did, he wasn't used to seeing me like this. And I put, he ran towards me as I was running the same, the, like the opposite direction right towards him. And he like jumped up on me and I just kind of unintentionally, my momentum carried me into him, like flipped him around in the air and he landed on his back and looked up at me like, what the fuck's that for? <laughs> Ernest <laughs> so, got bodied. Ernest got checked. Yeah. Uh, so I felt a little bad about that, but, um, I was, I mean, I was amped up and you can immediately hear everyone outside of my house. I live out in Lakewood, so there's a lot of houses around. I mean, it's, it's pretty close neighborhood. Um, just people going nuts immediately. You could hear cars like honking on the road, uh, fireworks going off. Uh, and I looked at, at Sean and I said, Hey, uh, I need you to drive me downtown. (laughs) So, so she said, all right, let's go. We got in the car. She drove me down to West 25th. Um, I walked across the bridge over to Corner Alley, met up with a few friends of mine, and and uh, lived it up for the rest of the night. That's a good woman you got right there. That's yeah, great. she's a keeper. You, you hold on to her. That's I, uh, that's fantastic. We um, all hell broke loose in our house, and you know, I, I uh, the first half I had sat in my lucky spot on the couch where I had sat for the two previous wins, and um, it wasn't really going well. And, uh, we had had some people upstairs, some people downstairs and, uh, Michelle had been upstairs and she came downstairs and, um, sat down in my spot, not knowing that that had been my lucky spot. And at that point I was like, well, you know what? This ain't working for me anyway. Uh, it kind of forced the hand a little bit. I'm like, I, I can't sit down. I got to So I spent the entire second half, like pacing behind the couch in our basement, um, praying during timeouts in the fourth quarter. Uh, some of the people at our house thought I had lost my mind. They might've been right. Um, but yeah, that, that last two seconds, man, when, when that shot went bouncing away, I sprinted around the, the, the furniture and, and went and bear hugged my dad. And, um, it was pretty cool to be able to, to, to celebrate that with, uh, with my family 
uh, on Father's Day and um, my uh, it, it was uh, it, that, that was good stuff and uh, just um, you know I always watch the trophy presentations the only trophy presentation I think I haven't watched in uh, of a major sport in the last uh, 10 years or so was the Warriors last year um, but uh, I, I always watch those and I've always dreamed for so many years like one day that's going to be a Cleveland team on the podium and um, to see that, you know, sitting in my basement, sitting on the floor in a, in a puddle of beer that had gotten spilled when uh, when we all went nuts um, and, and sitting there with holding my daughter. It was uh, that was a pretty damn cool moment. And uh, I will remember that uh, forever. Yeah, I don't know about you. Like, and I think you're probably the same as me. Like I got home. So I went downtown and I was. Uh, I got home around three o'clock in the morning. Was when I finally ended up getting my, making my way back, and I lay down in bed, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, Shauna was already asleep, so I, 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 I slipped into bed next to her, and I'm, I'm laying there, and I'm just staring at the ceiling, and I'm like, I, I don't know how to handle this. Like, it doesn't feel like I should just go to bed, but I've also been like running around high-fiving strangers being an idiot for like the last five hours so what else am i gonna do but overall and, and it's still sort of at that point where i don't know what to do next i feel like i need to do something else i feel like there has to be some more of it but you and i met up for the parade yesterday obviously and that was awesome um with the uh most expensive uber ride i've ever seen in my life uh that was steep i'm to not top gonna lie. it off yeah to top it off that was not a uh not the best part, but um, overall, it's still like I, I'm not sure what we do next because I don't really care about the draft. I don't really see the Cavs making any major moves, um, and I, I don't even really care to discuss those at this time. But um, yeah, it was like it was it was very surreal. We didn't didn't really know how to handle it, and it's it's understandable because we haven't been there before. Um, but me personally, I'm a, I'm a huge Ohio state guy, obviously. So I've had a couple of those in my lifetime that, um, that I had to look back on, but truthfully, and Ohio state football is my number one. I'll admit that Cavs are probably a close second. Um, this felt better than the Ohio state ones that I've enjoyed. Um, a big reason being that like, because of the way that it happened and it wasn't just one game, you know, college football, you just play a game. That's it. If you win that game, you're in, um, the way that the series went as a whole and the way that they were pumping up golden state the entire time, it was like, it just felt like such a burden had been lifted while with Ohio state, it's more like they're expected to do it. And if they don't, it's kind of disappointing, but if they do, you obviously enjoy it, but it's not, it's not surprising for what, even for what we said before, um, it still felt like I was still in a bit of shock after the fact that they actually were able to, to, uh, to finish it off. Cavs were dead in the water after game four. It no really, question. it really felt like after losing that game at home and that for all intents and purposes, they should have been buried in game five out in Oakland. And that, that should have been the end of it. And we started talking about this a little bit in the podcast that we did over the weekend before game seven, when we had uh, Bill Bender on, um, I think Draymond Green uh, punching LeBron below the belt, really kind of opened the door and you take him out of that game. 
All of a sudden, game five becomes more winnable. And as they're playing that game, Bogut gets hurt, which makes game six more winnable. Then in game six, uh, Andre Iguodala's back starts acting up and he's hobbling around the floor like he's 70 years old. And then all of a sudden we get to game seven and it just the entire world changed um, in NBA land. And the, the invincible team that was uh, preening around and so arrogant throughout the year and, and laughing at the Cavs and, you know, you got fans of theirs that were, I see like even Warriors bloggers um, from earlier on in that series were saying things like, oh, you know, I, I actually kind of hope the Cavs win one of the two games in Cleveland so that we can clinch the, this year's series at, at home. Like they're, they're dictating the terms of their title. And it was like, it never occurred to anybody that like, Hey, the Cavs, uh, maybe they could actually pull this thing off. And it just kept turning and turning and, before you know, I mean, we, we got into an all-time classic on Sunday night. Just just a wild, wild finish. And, a, you know, I, 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 I've i said for years, and I've just thought for years, that, like, if, if Cleveland was ever going to finally break through and win one of these things, it was going to have to take some sort of extraordinary circumstances. And I don't know how you could possibly have a more difficult path to winning a championship in a final series than what the Cavs went through against the Warriors, realistically. Yeah, I mean, you look at the way that the first four games went. I mean, obviously they won game three in, in impressive fashion, but after four games, they like you said, they looked dead in the water, and all they needed was like one thing here and there to finally go their way, and it started with the Draymond thing. That worked well. They were able to take advantage of that and win game five, and you said, hey, if you win game five, you finally get one on their home court. Um, you get to come home. So you might as well. And I'm, LeBron said it too. He said, hey, we're going to have to come back here anyways. Might as well come back and play a game. And that's what they did. Um, and, yeah, you're right with the uh, the Bogut thing. It was like, well, okay, now this game looks a little easier. And if we can win this one, it's a one-game series. I mean, everyone says, yeah, you 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 know, no one's ever come back from 3-1, and that's fine. But they really did take it just one game at a time and say, hey, if, if we take this step, then, you know, we're still on the way. So what what a ride, man. A lot, lot of fun. A lot of uh, – I said this to you, I think, during the game as I was stressed getting up and pacing around. Um, I don't know why we do this because it's, it's not fun. And then at the end, it was very apparent, <laughs> very apparent to me why we do it. Um but it was, I mean, it was two hours of, of stress and, uh, but worth it, worth every minute. That, uh, that game alone, that's that game on Sunday night, that game seven took years off my life. I'm no convinced for, for sure. For sure. And I mean, Sean has been, was laying on the couch next to me and she's half asleep and she's been like that for every game basically because they start so damn late. Um, but she's she's laying there and she's watching it, but she's half asleep. And I'm like, every every couple possessions, I'll get up and walk a lap and stand behind the chair and then sit down and get up and move around and all this. And it's like I'm just trying to do anything to keep myself like sane. But especially like the last three minutes or so, where no one seemed to score before Kyrie's three, it was like back and forth, and. 
I don't know about you, but you, I could tell pretty quickly, like, the next bucket could be the one that decides this game. And this was with probably, like, four minutes left. I'm like, this isn't going to be uh, back and forth rattling off shots for the next few minutes. These teams are buckled down. And I also think that the Warriors looked tight in the last four minutes. They didn't look like... They didn't look. They looked like a team that that had the lead and was trying to protect it, not a team that needed to go get the lead. I agree with you that it definitely got that feeling like it was going to come down to which team could just string together a bucket or two. And uh, I was terrified the entire time because that just kind of felt like the Warriors' mo was to be able to pull shots out from ridiculous angles and off of uh, terrible possessions, and it felt like some sort of garbage like that was going to have to win it. And every miss that every miss by the Cavs, you're like, oh shit! Now they're gonna go do it. Yeah, that was exactly right, and it was terrifying. Um, but uh, Kyrie, man, holy shit! The stones on that shot, man, unbelievable, unreal. That dude, like, had a hand in his face. He didn't. It, it, it's that. It's the type of ball that we've been lamenting for a long time. Uh, that iso ball or hero ball that we always say, why don't you guys move the ball around? That's not working. But it's funny because if you go back and watch right before that, they had called a timeout. And it was right before Kyrie got past half court and Ty Lue called it. And Kyrie turned around like pissed. Like he was not happy that they were calling timeout. He wanted to go do a shot. He wanted to go take a shot and make it right then and there. Um, luckily, he was still able to do it a few seconds later. But yeah, to just kind of dribble there. He didn't try anything crazy. He just looked at him. And he said, "Hey, I'm going to take this shot, and it's going to go in." And it it didn't. You know, the rest is history. We'll watch that shot. Uh, if if we still have YouTube in 20 years, we'll probably show that shot to our kids. Like, yeah, this was the first one we saw. Hopefully, we've had a few since then. You know, I I always will remember um, from the 2015 Finals uh, game two at Golden State when the Cavs won that game in in overtime. And at the end of it, LeBron spiking the ball at midcourt and just like slamming his fists and and roaring. And you always see that footage from like the NBA phantom cam and like the super slow motion and just what a badass image that always was. And I always thought how cool that was. And that was like the enduring image of, of last season for me. And when we got into this year's playoffs, you remember all the way back in the first round in that series against Detroit when um, LeBron threw that inbound pass all the way from like one end of the baseline to the other corner to Kyrie, and he made that three-pointer from an impossible angle that basically broke the backs of the Pistons. And do you remember how happy and excited LeBron was and the reaction that he had there? Absolutely, and it'll be one of the things that the people that watched every game of these playoffs, they'll remember that. That was, I mean, it seems like forever ago because so much has happened since then, but that's one of those images where you're like, yeah, this might be the one that kind of turned it around for him. And I I mean... That's why I bring that up because when that happened, two things I I, I thought about that. Number one, that to me was like the early contender for being like... uh, one of those uh, unforgettable images of this year's playoffs. And number two, I I just kind of made a mental note of it because I said, if the Cavs go on and win this thing this year, this might be the moment that we mark down as kind of being that, that defining 
turning point for them and, and that, that like breakthrough moment when LeBron fully realized, I think he always kind of believed to a degree that Kyrie could be the guy that makes those, you know, dagger shots in the playoffs. I mean, we saw glimpses of it in the regular season in the past. Like you always think back to that San Antonio game on, on uh, that Thursday night on TNT last year when he had the 57, um, but uh, to be able to do that on the road at a playoff game, it was kind of like the just saw it like that moment of realization in LeBron's eyes, and it just it came full circle to the you know deciding moments of Game Seven on the road in the NBA Finals, and it it came down to the Kyrie once again um, making the shot of a lifetime. Just uh, really cool. Yeah, very much so. Um, and I'll say, I mean. I saw this earlier today, actually, while I was watching draft coverage, they had like a graphic up and it said, uh, they were just talking about point guards and they had a thing up and it said elite point guards and seven of them in a row and front and center was Kyrie Irving, which I don't think two weeks ago would have been, um, he would have been lucky to make it onto that graphic. I think just general, um, just sort of the way people looked at him. And I don't think it was necessarily fair, but, um, that's a dude who, he took a huge step in these finals. Um, he was a real, I mean, he was a really good player. He's been an, an elite player for since he entered the league. But as far as um, I think it's probably the first time that people really are comfortable saying, yeah, that guy can go win you a title too. Like it's not just LeBron and a bunch of guys. Although, I mean, make no mistake, LeBron is still the, uh, still the engine, but he he he! Just a couple of those games and and a couple shots that he made are just. I don't think people realized how good of a player he actually was until he, uh, far and away, outplayed the uh, unanimous MVP for the last seven games. Yeah, let's talk about MVPs because you know all year we had this love fest with uh, with Steph Curry, and we had heard how the torch had been passed and how this was uh, Steph Curry's league now and. And he's the MVP, and and LeBron's kind of taking a backseat to him. And you, know, you and I were even wondering during the regular season at one point when the Cavs were at kind of a low point, like how much was this whole Warriors phenomenon messing with his head? And I really think that this series was a referendum on, on the pecking order at the top of the food chain in the NBA. And I think this really ought to kind of serve as, uh, I, I hope people in – Cleveland here will remember this next year when LeBron has a night in December where he shoots three at nine and, and scores 16 points and, and looks kind of disengaged because and maybe he's not going to go on a, a world beating tear from October straight through mid June, but he knows when, when the chips are down, he knows when the big money is won and he knows how to be his best at the absolute most important times of the year. And I think this game in this series really was uh, kind of cementing his legacy. And, and if anybody had any lingering doubts about LeBron and his place in the game's history, I mean, this really, uh, this has to eliminate that. I mean, the last three games, 41, 41, triple double. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, and I mean, we've been hearing basically for probably, I mean, right around the time the season started, probably this year, it, it seems like the, the narrative has been that uh, the torch has already been passed. Um, 
from LeBron to Curry in that younger group. Um, I think his play in these finals is going to remind people, like like you said, yeah, that game in January doesn't matter. That's a guy who's got bigger things on his mind. He's not trying to win 73 games and, and win MVP awards, although I think it's probably going to have people looking at him a different way again. Um, I think he'll be, and I mean, he it's not like he was out of the MVP discussion this year. Um because I think he finished, what, third? Second or uh, third, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, what's his face? The guy from San Antonio, I think, was second. Uh, Kawhi. Kawhi Leonard. But he's going to he's gonna get the benefit of the doubt, I think, at this point. Like, it's not going to be just about numbers anymore. Um, where, yeah, Curry's going to still score a ton of points. And he's going to hit a lot of threes, and they might win a lot of games during the regular season. Um, come the playoffs, they're still going to know who the... Who the who the guy at the top of the totem pole is, I think. Um, and rightfully so, because he he went out there, and he did it in the finals last year. I mean, he played his ass off. He wasn't maybe as efficient as we would have liked, but um, he was a hell of a player in the finals last year. Probably should have been the MVP then, and I, I think he should have been this year, which, I mean, he was. But even if they had lost game seven, I still think he should have been. Um, but I will say that I don't, I don't think he's... Uh, I think he probably took it rather personally <laughs> that, that people were assuming, you know, he was he was dropping down and there was people uh, jumping ahead of him. I think he's uh, he's going to hold on to the throne for a couple more years. I think. Well, if you had any doubt as to whether he was taking that personally, I think the fact that he got off the plane when they landed back in Cleveland, wearing a T-shirt for the Ultimate Warrior and uh, a hat with uh, Kermit the Frog sipping tea. Uh, the old uh, that's none of my that's business. none of my business. Yep, and and his uh, Instagram post um, talking about all the the crap that had been thrown his way throughout the season in the media uh, when he uh, lifted his uh, blackout for this year's postseason. Um, I, I you're damn right he took that stuff personally, and uh, he did a good job of not like not not bringing it up, not talking about that stuff. Um, and the way that, like, I mean, take notes to the rest of the league. Don't poke the bear. Don't do what Clay Thompson was doing. Um, like Clay Thompson, yeah, he's a very good player in the league. One of the top, I don't know, top fifteen, top twenty guys. Um, you're not LeBron, and pissed off LeBron is not a guy that you want to go against. Um, so, toe the line, even if you believe it or not. Um, kiss the ring until. Uh, you know, until until you're sure that he's not the guy that uh, that's going to kill you, like he's proven so many times to be. You don't spit in the wind. You do not tug on Superman's cape, and you do not piss off LeBron James during the finals. Wise words. Um, and he, I mean, he'll go back and he'll probably regret probably the way that that he way that he handled that. But it's too late now. Once you woke him up, it was it was. There was nothing else you could do about it, and he uh, he came out a man on a mission for three games in a row, and just uh, like you said, took it very personally. And here we are. Here we are. I, I, I it's funny. I keep we keep going over these things, and I find myself saying what I'm thinking, but then I get to the end, and I don't really know that there was a point. I don't really know how to articulate this feeling because it's so ridiculous and so foreign. Um, but man, what a what a fun way to do it. We said before the finals, like 
Uh, I'm not sure if I want to play Golden State. Uh, I can tell you that if we'd beaten um, if we'd beaten the Thunder in six or something like that, it would still be a lot of fun. It probably wouldn't feel quite this good. I can't imagine any scenario that would have been more exciting than this. High, high risk, high reward, I suppose, is the, the best way to describe it. Um, exactly. Yeah. And being able to take down the, that team, not just because they beat us last year, but because of what we've been, we've been hearing about them all season and them having the 73 wins and all that, like, it's it's literally the the best possible way the Cavs could have won. And I'm going to, you know what, I'm I'm probably going to shock you here. I'm going to give the Warriors a little bit of credit. Um, the fact that they did play balls to the wall for the entire season and went out and won 73 games. I think that was really impressive, and I don't blame them in the least for doing that. It might have ended up costing them if they maybe uh, were were burnt out by the end, and maybe they'll have regrets about the way they approach the season. But coming into this year, I think they had a lot of people questioning them at the start of the season, like before the season actually began, wondering whether they were – legit in winning the title last year because the Cavs had their injuries in the finals. And whereas a lot of teams get fat and happy after they win a championship, the Warriors uh, came out pissed off with something to prove. And, and they really, um, as title defenses go, I mean, that that's about as good as you can do without actually uh, winning it. But uh, at the end of the day, it, it uh, just made it that much more of an impressive accomplishment for our Cavs. Uh, to be able to dethrone them because um, it, it really was. It was, it, it's amazing. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, after last season, after the finals last year, we kind of said, Hey, we get love it. Kyrie back. We'll be healthy. We'll be good to go. And we started, we were the f- uh, favorites at the beginning. Um, and then golden state went on that crazy run to start the season. And yeah, I mean, they, they looked every bit like the, far and away best team in the league. The Cavs did not at times. We had a couple of rough patches throughout the season. Nothing nothing terrible like last year where we went what, nineteen and twenty to start the season. But um overall Yeah, I mean Golden State they they did I'm I'm with you. I'll give them credit. They they came out and I think going for that seventy three, it's such a weird thing, I think, because you can't do it at the beginning of the season. You have to kind of decide when when it with when it becomes within reach. I think, um, and I, I I'll be honest, I didn't think they were going to get it at the end of the season because they had to go against San Antonio twice. I think, and um, I thought they were going to fall the game short, and they they went for it and they got it. But at the end of the day, is that it's something to be proud of? But is it anything that they're going to be remembered for? Are people going to look back and remember that? Golden State won 73 games and whatever in 2016. I think they're going to be remembered as the team that won 73 games and got beat. Um, I, I, I do think that uh, it's going to be more of, I, I think ultimately the, at least, I don't know, maybe it'll be different elsewhere, but at least here in Cleveland, I know it's going to be, Oh, here in Cleveland. The, the Cavs were the, the team that, <laughs> that took down the 73-win defending champ. So Sure. Yep. 
Yeah, and what if what a what a run it was. I mean, and people, I don't know. I I still hear people talking about well, the, the Cavs had the easier road. I'm not even sure that's true. Um, the Thunder are by far the best of the teams that everyone played, but I don't know. I think we've we've already gone over that ad nauseum, but it's just another one of those things that people bring up. Um, so I guess what do you what do you expect? Where do we go from here? What's next? You know, just do it again next year. Uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh I I think that's um it'll be interesting just to see how uh the league shakes out. I think we're going to see some movement um with some other rosters. Uh and we're already seeing that here tonight. I I know before you and I started uh doing this podcast, we heard about Serge Ibaka going to the to the Magic, Magic and, and I know like uh Derrick Rose got traded over to the Knicks yesterday and um you know, there's going to be plenty of other moves once we get into free agency. And um, I, I just, I guess if I'm the Cavs, as it it we're looking at the Cavs, I really hope they keep this core intact. Uh, I, I know that there was some talk from people, especially that the national writers always looking to stir up shit and basically already expecting Kevin Love to be out the door. But um I don't know. Maybe I'm just sentimental because this was the team that won the damn thing. But I feel like when you win a championship, you really don't need to. Uh, you don't want to shake things up too much. You no. spent two years working towards that and like getting yourself in the position to do it. So why would you retool and have to do it again? Um, I'm with you. I agree. And for all um, the talk about like, oh, Kevin Love and LeBron don't get along. Go back and watch when LeBron was going for that dunk with uh, 10 seconds to go. Um, go look it on the floor and see who had the most excited reaction thinking that that dunk was going down. It was Love. It, he was in the near side along the three-point arc, about to lose his mind, thinking that LeBron had, had just crushed that. And then when the game was over, who was the first guy that went and bear-hugged uh, LeBron? under the basket. It was love. Yep, again, first guy that charged on the, on the floor. floor. Yep. And, and I, I don't know. And it just, it, when LeBron was uh, talking him up yesterday during the rally in between some of his F bombs, um, <laughs> a story for another day that honestly, I have no problem with despite nope. what some other people think. Yeah. Fuck um, he, you know, he, he had some genuinely nice words to say about Kevin Love. So I, I don't want to see Kevin Love go anywhere. I agree. Um, and I think we saw like, I don't know. I feel like the story has been since since Kevin Love came here was like, yeah, he put up really good numbers when he was in Minnesota, um, and that's that's all he is is a stat stuffer. He's not worried about winning. But if you're a guy who's used to being putting up those kinds of numbers, and you're willing to take a backseat to two other guys for literally no other reason but winning a championship, I don't know how you can say that about a guy anymore. If you look at some of those wins, he is by far the most excited guy, and all he's doing is getting rebounds. He's not scoring a bunch of points. His shot's not great, but that's a dude that you look at him during the games while they're winning. All he wants to do is win. Um, so I think those that that angle probably needs to be put to sleep already. There is some real validation for him in Game 7. I mean, I know it was like you said, him be kind of coming – kind of becoming this dirty work type player and, and doing some of the less glamorous things. But I mean, you look at his line, he had 14 rebounds, um, which led the team. And uh, like we mentioned earlier, he 
had that amazing defensive possession where he shut down Steph Curry uh, when the Cavs had the three-point lead. And and I know this is kind of a flawed stat, but he was a plus uh, plus 19 on the plus minus. So for him being, quote-unquote, unplayable against the Warriors, he had the best plus minus of anybody on the Cavs roster by a wide margin in Game 7. So... And and the Warriors, I think, out of any team in in the league, the Warriors seem to be the worst matchup for him, and and he found ways to still be productive here. Um, so, uh, I mean, I, being realistic, I don't think we're going to keep everybody. Uh, it's just the nature of the game, and who knows who will come in, who knows who will go. I mean, I, Richard Jefferson already uh, retired and then unretired uh, this week. I know that uh, there have been some whispers that uh, some other teams, I think Milwaukee in particular, was mentioned as being interested in uh, Delhi. So, uh, I mean, that that could be something where the Cavs' hand gets forced if they want to re-sign him, having to spend a, a uncomfortable amount of money. You know, J.R. Smith's contract situation is unresolved. And, you know, that's another guy I, I think kind of became a cult hero with this team. And, he kind of no-showed last year during the finals when he had too much of a burden put on him with the other guys injured, but I thought he played a pretty nice series. Oh, look at how he came out in the beginning of the third of that game. I mean, they were down eight and in in danger, I think, of, of that game turning into a rout, not in their favor. And he came out, brought him right back in the game in no time. And yeah, you're right. I mean, he quickly became a fan favorite and... um. I still don't think he's put a shirt on. I think that's a rumor going around. I saw him today uh, on the driving range, sweat shorts, which was an interesting look by itself, um, and no shirt. But uh, hey, he deserves it. If you, uh, I think that most establishments in Cleveland will waive the uh, no shirt, no shoes, no uh, service policy for him if uh, if he were to show up, and deservedly so. I agree. Whew. I don't know about you, man. I am emotionally spent still i am i i'm i'm it was four days ago but with monday was clearly just a hangover day tuesday was uh i I spent most of tuesday just uh bringing taking in content essentially uh watching videos listening to everything online reading whatever i could find and then the parade yesterday it's it's been a whirlwind and i didn't play in any of the games i just watched them in my in my recliner but I don't know about I don't know, man. I am wiped. This week is uh, taking a lot out of me for sure. Cleveland can win championships again in the future. You will never in your lifetime see anything like we experienced this week for just so many factors. With the the league superstar that was uh, the hometown hero coming back and delivering on a promise in the most dramatic way f- possible, and ending the drought. And the fact that we had, I mean, the estimates were, what, 1.3 million people downtown yesterday and flying in from all over the country to make sure that they were here for it. And uh, the hotels were sold out and um, just an unbelievable scene. Uh, And, and, you know, the other thing, like you mentioned um, that uh, you, you got to go downtown on Sunday night after the game was over and then we were there yesterday and... Um, for the most part, I, I think uh, people were pretty well behaved. We always wondered like what would happen to the city of Cleveland when it burned down if uh, a Cleveland team ever won a championship. And 
for the most part, it was, uh, it was pretty good. So clutch performance by uh, uh, Northeast Ohio residents as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well done, everyone. I mean, yeah, I think everyone sort of expected the same thing. And I heard, I saw um, the rumor that a uh, fire truck had been stolen um, on Sunday right after the game, which turned out to be, uh, I think, only like half true. I'm not still not sure. A bunch of people climbed up on it and started celebrating. And that's all it was. But I also read like uh, a couple things that people heard on like the police scanner. One of them was, uh, well, they're not really unruly. Just everyone seems really happy, <laughs> which when I was down there, that seemed to be the general feeling. I, I told you um, there was a couple instances where I saw like people run into each other as they're walking through and under any other scenario would have fought and just like looked at each other and like high five and went the other way. And um, it was it was something to be a part of. It was just a hundred percent joy. I don't think anyone was feeling like, um, I don't know. It was, it was a mixture of joy and disbelief that that they were able to do it, and everyone just wanted to have a good time and celebrate, and no one wanted to have any of that negative shit that usually goes along with it. So uh, it was awesome. It was Perfect. something something, and I, and like you said, I don't know that they'll ever duplicate that. Um, they could win a lot more titles, but I don't know that they'll ever be able to do what they did this year as far as um, bringing energy to the city. That's okay, because that's an impossible yep. standard to live up uh-huh. to. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> no question. Wow. What a that week, man. Said, that being said, I'll I'll be okay doing it again next year. Yeah. But, uh, I think we got, what, 100 and, 125 days or something until uh, – uh, the start of the season or training camp or some, somebody threw out a number. They're already counting down the days until media day and training camp and uh, the start nice. of the new year. So I can't wait. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, but uh, we still get to bask in this and enjoy it for a while first. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned just uh, reading articles and watching clips and taking in as much stuff as you, as much content as you can. I, kind of wondered like all right am i gonna get burned out on watching this at some point and nope <laughs> not yet i'll let you know if it i'm four happens, days in and i'm uh, close to it i'm i'm good i'm i'm still going strong and For i sure. have a feeling i will be as long as i can and uh i'm gonna spend an ungodly amount of money on uh, commemorative merchandise from this as well so uh i uh, i look forward to all of the uh companies that make those things uh taking all of my money it's gonna be great yeah, the t-shirt business in Cleveland is alive and well. Oh, you know, the, the, the t-shirt companies in Cleveland don't need a reason. So this is uh, the, uh, the, the the dream come true at, uh, times 10 for them. So yeah. God bless and uh, go make your money. There you go. Oh, boy. All right. Well, we have been uh, all calves pretty much all the time here for uh, the last two months, and rightfully so. And, uh, you know, if, uh, things... Uh, uh, develop over the summer with any sort of player movement. I'm sure we're going to stay on that, but uh, it is about time to probably uh, shift gears here starting uh, next week. And uh, that uh, the bad news is we're going to kind of have to turn the pace from the, uh, the greatest calf season uh, of, of uh, our lifetime and uh, really of anybody's lifetime. But uh, the good news is that uh, we can uh, turn our attention to baseball and as it turns out, um, we've got a pretty damn good team over in uh, the American League as well. Uh, the Indians yeah, in first place. So 
That'll... Yeah, some good ball being played on the corner of uh, Carnegie and Ontario right now. I think they're, what, uh, seven in a row, I want to say. Uh, three games up in the division, and uh, I don't want to go into baseball too much, but they look like a team that if they can get to – if they can get into the playoffs, they are built for playoff baseball with their pitching staff. So that should get up, give us something else to watch while we wait for the Cavs to start back up. This is the new reality in the city of champions, my friend. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? I was saying it to someone the other day. I said, what if this just uh, this just opens up the floodgates now? Uh, Cavs tack on a few more titles. The Indians maybe win a couple World Series. The Browns get to 500. It'll be madness <laughs> in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> I know I don't want to get too crazy, but I I have always thought that if if one of the one of our teams ever broke through that nervous energy that always seems to permeate Cleveland crowds at at big games, big home games, that that sense of dread when things start going wrong, I said that would be completely out the window. And now, actually, having uh, experienced the Cavs team winning a championship, I am a hundred and ten percent of that belief. So, um. I think it's going to be fun getting into big games now and not feeling like the world's going to end if things don't go our way. And, and I don't know how much that actually affects what happens on the court or on the floor, but, or on, on the field, but, uh, can't hurt. So I, I, I think, uh, the era of good feelings is, uh, here in, uh, in Cleveland and, uh, I, for one, I'm looking forward to it. Yep. All Absolutely. right. It was a good run. Damn right. Well, we uh, we are going to get out of here, but uh, we will be back next week. In the meantime, uh, make sure you're subscribed on uh, iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play Music and uh, go like our Facebook page, and uh, we will be back with you soon. So uh, for Travis Yuli, I am Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again next week. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.